2: same way with us. It's a meritocracy. So if you're at the top of the card, you know, hey, maybe you have a bigger dressing room than the person at the bottom of the card. But everyone has the same opportunity to earn their way there.
3: Vindicated, man. So vindicated to go from just nowhere on the card and no desire to have me and no priority. And that's not a knock on anybody. And to go out in the fricking wilderness and try everything I could to make some noise and change our business and pro wrestling and sports entertainment, whatever the F you want to call it. And just, Oh, I felt like they appreciated it and I appreciated them.
2: We're looking to sell over a hundred thousand seats or for capacity of over a hundred thousand on Saturday and on Sunday without jinxing it we're on track to do it
3: ladies and gentlemen we are pleased to announce tonight's attendance here at AT&T Stadium for WrestleMania Saturday 77,800
4: Everybody, and welcome to another edition of Wrestleomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday. WrestleMania Sunday. It's not just any Sunday. Yesterday was WrestleMania Saturday. The day before that was WrestleMania SmackDown. Today is Sunday, April the 3rd, 2022. Uh, and Chris Gullo is away. He is in uh, in Dallas. He is in Arlington, he is I think a, I think attending WrestleMania tonight. I am joined instead by Jesse Collins, who uh writes for Voices of Wrestling, writes for Wrestling Inc. Am I getting all that right, Jesse?
5: Yes, so far. The two publications that I write for. Yes. But you're also a real life uh, well, journalist, this, are you? Yes, the two publications I write uh about wrestling for. I have I do not foray into it. Yes. In my juke job as a real journalist and not a fake pro wrestling journalist. Right. Where, where are you uh, joining us from today? Uh, I am in my apartment in East Arlington, Massachusetts, about five miles outside Boston.
4: Okay. Have you uh, have you attended Beyond Wrestling events before?
5: I did go to one of their shows in Worcester. You were not there. Okay. Was that an uncharted territory? Uh, I, I honestly, I can't remember. It was a was that What ago.
4: is that? The White Eagle? White Eagle? Hall, something like that. Anyway.
5: Um, I don't know. Layla Hirsch was on the card. Yes, it was at White Eagle. It was at, it was at White Eagle. It was where they tape out at Worcester. Right.
4: Well, anyway, today we are going to talk about WrestleMania attendance, Nick Khan's media tour. He did at least two media appearances. Um, so I guess we'll start with what's probably on everybody's mind the most who's tuning in right now is WrestleMania attendance. The uh, the vaunted subject in in all of wrestling business, uh, one of the most controversial subjects that there is. Um, so we are here in AT&T Stadium, which we know has a capacity of for football around 100,000 people. Um, WWE did WrestleMania at AT&T Stadium in 2016. They announced 101,763 that number is burned into my brain. Uh, But then the Arlington police told me the turnstile count was 80,709. Now, maybe that didn't include people in suites. I don't know how many people are watching WrestleMania from suites as opposed to a Dallas Cowboys game. Um, But this event, in the weeks leading up, we saw this is this is an earlier report that I'm going to show on the screen for night one and night two. Uh, we saw 55, 56,000 000 uh, last count from WrestleTix for Saturday tickets distributed, which should include paid and comps. Wouldn't include suites. Definitely doesn't include ushers and ticket takers and things of that nature. Uh, night one tickets distributed according to WrestleTix. WrestleTix analyzing the ticketing map in this case from seatgeek 65,719 65,719 uh wb announced right uh, at um i think before before the austin match or maybe maybe even before that 77,899 is their announced attendance so that's about 20% higher i think than 65,717 um so that's the discrepancy. Um there could be up to 12,000 people in suites because there's over 300 suites that could contain 12 to 35 guests in in those suites. Um I would imagine suites are uh, are not at full capacity for a WrestleMania as as they as much as they would be for a, say a Dallas Cowboys game. I I don't know what what the situation is in AT&T Stadium, but in a lot of cases, suites are bought for an entire year of events. So all the events f- for that venue, for say an entire year, you get access to if you have that that suite reserved. I think you can also reserve suites individually for individual events. I did find some, you know, it was possible to reserve uh, for WrestleMania earlier in the day on Saturday. Uh, so I think we can say with confidence that the suites were not like at full capacity with twelve thousand people in them. Uh, but that this number, uh, if it's not merely for entertainment purposes only, uh, includes ushers and ticket takers and all of that. And it's as Vince McMahon said about the 2016 WrestleMania in the same venue, it wasn't 77,899 paid. The paid number is probably much closer to and and slightly under the WrestleTix number, 65,719. But any thoughts that you might have on that, Jesse?
5: So without getting into too many conversations about like staging and how many seats you can put on the field and that kind of aspect of what the actual capacity of the building is, AT&T Stadium, my understanding of it is that when it was first constructed, it was constructed in a way that it can easily seat over 100,000 people for a football game or other events. And after like a few years of that, or maybe like it was just the first couple of seasons, they Basically, got rid of that kind of capacity. I think they built more suites, and now the capacity for the NFL is around 80,000, which is not which is one of the larger NFL stadiums, but it is not the largest NFL stadium. Lambeau Field is, can seat more. I think MetLife in New York City can, uh, or East Rutherford can seat more. So, there's a like, I guess, I don't think like the Dallas stadium really has a capacity over 100,000 anymore. Okay, uh, and it, I don't think it had it at WrestleMania 32 either, but that was at least closer to when it had it. I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that is what happened was they basically did it as a gimmick to you know, have the highest attended NFL game ever, uh, right. have the highest attended NBA All-Star game ever, which I think is like the North American indoor attendance record. I don't even think they can seat 100,000 anymore. So you, you can throw that number right out. Um, when it comes to the I fixed the- seating. Fr- yeah. Yeah, I was surprised that they announced seventy seven thousand. I just assumed they were going to announce like a hundred and two thousand or whatever would be the higher number mm-hmm. um, that would break the record that they had previously set. Because that's like when they return to a new a building that they used to they had previously run a WrestleMania in, they always announce a bigger number than what they announced previously.
4: But that was with um, one event. You can see with with there being two events, you know, you're increasing the volume and. Um you know, you're, you're doing two events over two days in the end. I mean, they'll day two is looking at looking like, what, what did I have up here at, at last count? 57,000 tickets distributed, which would come out to over 122,000 tickets distributed. So a lot more than whatever number you want to believe, whether it's 101,763, including ushers and ticket takers and all that, or whether you want to believe, you know, the 80,709 that the, uh that the Arlington police department said, and we can look at what um, the key performance indicators indicate based on the averages that they do report that W itself reports based on average attendance with WrestleMania in that quarter. And without WrestleMania in that quarter, we can do some math and determine a range within which the, att- the paid attendance, paid attendance must have landed. So what we got for WrestleMania 32 into 2016 was the median of that range give or take a few thousand is 79,800. So that's what it was looking like uh in that year. Um but uh I think we can go to the first comment from Nick Khan from his interview uh on The Town with Matt Bellamy where he uh he mentions uh this is this is um an interview that was happening on Monday, I believe, because they're referring to the Oscars which happened last night, Nick says which was Sunday, right? If my memory serves me correct. So he's Mm -hmm. speaking on Monday and he's saying that uh, WrestleMania is on track to do a hundred thousand both days. So we'll listen to that clip now.
2: So this is the first time uh, we're doing two nights of WrestleMania full capacity. Mm -hmm. So Saturday, this Saturday, April 2nd and Sunday, April 3rd from AT&T stadium in Dallas on Peacock in the U S we think we have action packed cards on both nights. We're looking to sell over a hundred thousand seats, or for capacity of over a hundred thousand on Saturday and on Sunday, without jinxing it. We're on track to do it,
4: and I struggle to understand what he might have been getting at there. Um, we're on track to sell a hundred thousand on each day. Um, I, I even, you know, tr- trying to give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he meant a hundred thousand combined over both days. But I mean, clearly, tickets distributed are, are well over a hundred thousand. Not only by Monday, but sort of weeks in advance, we saw that through WrestleTix, Um, that it was well over a hundred thousand for at least a couple of weeks there. Um, so I, I can't imagine what information he was basing uh, that statement on.
5: Any guesses? Well, that's just why I was surprised they announced the seventy-seven thousand number because as this was almost like a hint of what they were going to announce, right? Because mm-hmm. you and I heard that and we were both like. Well, I really don't think they're going to get 100,000 people on each night because right. we, we, we were aware of what the ticket sales were, you know, six days or, or or five days before WrestleMania. And so I figured, oh, OK, this is just, you know, typical WWE lying up where they're going to say they're going to announce one hundred and two thousand on each night um, because that's the, that's the record for them. And they're going to set the record for their highest attended event. Um, but the specific you're you're right about, like the specific nature of we're on track to do it. it would make it seem like maybe he believed that they were going to get uh 40,000, 50,000 walk-ups, uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, the stadium wasn't set up for that many people. So it was just, you know, it, it wasn't surprising to me that he said it, but I did think he was very, the specific nature of it made it seem very obvious when you, he could have easily just been like, yeah, we're going to do a hundred thousand people this weekend. Yeah. Um, and that wouldn't be a lie, like you said. They they are doing over, well, over a hundred thousand people. They could could have said we're going to do one hundred twenty thousand people this weekend, because they right. probably are. Um, right. And, and so he was very specific in pointing out the hundred thousand each night, which again, that's why i was surprised they they only you know exaggerated to seventy seven thousand.
4: Yeah, and uh, I, something else we could do here while while we're dwelling on WrestleMania attendance is they they didn't put out a press release last night. Um they did put out a press release on WrestleMania Saturday year prior. Uh for WrestleMania last year with the limited capacity in Tampa. They didn't announce uh a gate. Um so do I have I don't I don't think I have it here, do I? But I have the attendance here. So we we from in, in Tampa through the Tampa Sports Authority through an information request, uh, we got we ended up getting the gate and we ended up getting all these we ended up getting basically the, the ticket master audits. So so I so we can tell you what's on the screen here, what the night one and night two paid attendance, total attendance, tickets to distributed and all that were for, for that limited capacity, WrestleMania. Um but what we and we ended up getting the gate too. Um so my point is they haven't put out a press release yet, maybe they still will for what the gate was last night or what maybe they will after the night is over tonight say this is this is the total amount of revenue that we drew um the biggest wrestlemania ever and the biggest pro wrestling event ever is wrestlemania 32 in arlington in at&t stadium with a 17.3 million dollar live gate of course that's one event this will exceed that in total between two nights but clearly on over over one night unless ticket prices are so much higher than they were before that's not happening um something we could speculate about here is What what's the average ticket price? And we can let's say, let's say the paid attendance is, we know tickets distributed is this number, 65,719. So if paid attendance is, and I don't think they would be collecting any revenues from suites, right? Because probably because at least most of the suite attendees, they are already paid for. That's not additional revenue going to the venue or to the event if you're going into a suite, I think, but, but the tickets obviously are right. So let's say, you know, if we exclude comps out of that, let's say 95% of that is paid. That brings us to four night one, 62,400. So now to determine the gate, we have to ask, what's the average ticket price. Do you have any sense, Jesse, what the average ticket price might be for WrestleMania? I don't, I assume it's really high. So WrestleMania in the past, um, if we merely divide what, what their live gate disclosure is by what the what the paid attendance seems to be, it gets up to like two hundred dollars a ticket. Um, the The pricing appears to be very dynamic on for this event because it's through SeatGeek. But let's say the the ticket price was something like two hundred dollars and two hundred fifteen dollars or something like that. So if I just multiply what I just estimated for the pay attendance by about two fifteen. That would get to thirteen million dollars for a live gate, and if we re- multiply that, you know, roughly by two, I think night two is going to be a little lower. But that gets to about twenty five million dollars for a live gate, which you know, even adjusted for inflation, um, that's uh, that's a lot. That's uh, both of those nights are going to be among the biggest pro wrestling live gates ever adjusted for inflation i mean all all of the biggest events all the biggest live gates adjusted for inflation at this point I, I believe are you know the last few wrestlemanias before the pandemic so this will be lower than those those few probably um but uh but still even on these separate nights among probably let's say the top 10 uh live gates in pro wrestling history um not counting not counting uh, events in Riyadh and Jeddah, which are paid shows up front by the Saudi government to the tune of fifty million dollars.
5: Right. So the the combined estimated gate of this show isn't even half. Is is basically half, half of what one of the the crown yes. jewel half
4: of half talks. of a Saudi events here. Half of a Saudi
5: yeah. event. Um, um. I want to ask you two things about this. The first, as you point out, with that twenty six million dollar figure, just like how Raw is never going to be two hours again. I don't think WrestleMania is ever going to be one night again. If anything, it's going to go to three nights, right? Does that seem outside the realm of possibility at this point?
4: I think there's a lot more flexibility here uh, with WrestleMania than there would be with raw, right? Because it's, it's one. It's one piece, right? They can. It's easier for me to justify. I. I generally agree with you that they're. They're just going to see it as, hey, this is a way that we can expand this event and make make more revenue, uh, more content for Peacock and our other W Network uh, partners. Um, but I think it's raw is more immovable because we've written all these contracts. For instance, with NBC Universal, five year contract, whatever the next one is, that that guarantees them, you know, you're probably agreeing to 3 hours in the contract um for a number of years. Whereas Wrestlemania it, it's kind of year year to year. I know they've already said next year in Inglewood, California, they're going to do a 2-day event again. Um but it's still kind of year to year. What are they going to do the following year? Probably two nights, but they could. They could more easily change that if they decided for whatever reason, you know, maybe this is sort of diluting our brand and we want to make it one very special night again. Uh, That's, there's just fewer moving parts to make that happen. But, but generally I agree with you. This is, this is a, this is a company that showed its tendency is to just produce more content, monetize more of it, make more money. And if that dilutes the brand or makes, makes this uh, too much for some people that, well, that's secondary.
5: Well, you mentioned like how like the TV contracts make it inflexible. It's also possible that when you sign your deal with Peacock or you sign your next contract with a streaming partner, whether that's Peacock or maybe someone else, it's possible that, hey, WrestleMania's two nights is in that contract because I'm sure they're happy that they're getting two nights of WrestleMania-level viewership or whatever um, as opposed to one. Mm-hmm. And I look at the schedule for this year, right? This year for WWE is kind of an experiment in some ways on – how many travel shows that they can, they produce and how many stadium shows that they can run. We've already seen the Royal, the Royal Rumble was in a stadium this year, right? It yes. Was. It was in St. Louis, St. Right. Louis, um, the, the, the old TWA dome. Yes. Um, but you know, WrestleMania obviously is stadium this year. Money in the bank is in a stadium this year. It's in Las Vegas. Um, SummerSlam is in Nashville at right. the, uh, the Titan stadium. I don't know what it's called. um, you got the uh, the Millennium State. Oh, they haven't announced the Millennium Stadium the show, but the the Cardiff, Wales Stadium show is is that right? what's That's being not- speculated? Yeah, I,
4: I I fully expect W is going to run a stadium show in September, probably in the UK,
5: and is is that
4: the rumor that it's in
5: Cardiff? Yeah, I don't even know if it's called Millennium Stadium anymore. But the point is, they're running a lot of stadium shows, and I think it's almost like a test to see. Um, how many like tr- how, how how many shows can they get a traveling fan base to go to each mm. year? I don't think they're banking on 65,000 people in the Nashville, Tennessee area to go to SummerSlam. I think they're banking on people traveling to Nashville uh, yeah. in August to see that. And I wonder, once you're getting to that level, once you're relying on fans who are coming in probably for a weekend, not just one night, um, why not expand those shows to two nights? Could we get two-night Royal Rumble? We got two Royal Rumble matches. Why not do one on Saturday and one on Sunday? SummerSlam could be two nights. Money in the Bank could be two nights. You have two Money in the Bank matches. I don't rule any of that out because I feel like this (laughs) is the first step in trying to see how many people you can get to travel to shows. And once you have that, then you can do two nights because that's what led to WrestleMania almost being two nights, which was the sense of that people were clearly coming in for the whole weekend. All of these different promotions were piggybacking on people who were arriving on Friday and Saturday and going to all these other shows and. WWE had the NXT show, kind of piggyback off it it's, itself as well, and so they said, "You know what? All these people are in town. Why not just expand to two nights? Because we'll give them two nights of WrestleMania, and that will muscle out maybe some of the competition that's glomming onto our show." Um, and I think that if the, if the if they show that they can get this amount of fans to travel to all of their major shows, it wouldn't surprise me if all these shows became two nights.
4: Yeah, I mean that's the 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 case you make for Royal rumble is, is pretty compelling that you could just do one Royal rumble on one, one, one day, another Royal rumble on another day. Um, provided that, uh, you know, a, a company led by Vince McMahon is willing to, you know, I guess, guarantee that one of these events could be main evented by a women's uh, Royal rumble. Um, so the the St. Louis Royal rumble and the Las Vegas SummerSlam slam uh, in G, Summer Slam in August, St. Louis uh, Royal Rumble in January. I, th- I think that's the the two events that Nick Khan has said. You know, they they saw. I forget how he phrases it. That there were different people who went to different events. So essentially, these are traveling events that are for that are regional. Maybe maybe it was WrestleMania. Anyway, you d- you do all these stadium events and you put space them across the country, or even if you're going to do one in the UK across the globe, so that you're attracting traveling fans sort of regionally. Um, so I think that's what they're thinking there. Um, I do wonder to what extent, you know, if, if there was no pandemic uh, or maybe a year later, we'll see what happens is the, are, are, are these events not as well attended uh, because there's still some COVID hesitancy for, for when it comes to travel. Um, I guess like just speaking personally, that, that was probably a factor for me. I would have more, maybe more strongly considered going to Dallas if, if not for like, well, it's, there's still, you know, there's, we're still getting over a pandemic here. Um, so I don't know. Do you, do you think that's a factor?
5: I think it'd be too dismissive to say that, uh, it's not a factor, right? I would think that, like I said, I, I mean, I haven't really traveled since the pandemic i haven't flown anywhere is what i'll classify as real travel as um and i definitely think there are people that are still kind of nervous about it perhaps the show being in texas people don't feel like regulations would be followed as closely Um, whether that's true or untrue i'm not going to say but it's definitely a stereotype that would be out there that might affect some people um so i definitely think the COVID is a reason i'm curious to know though do you think splitting it between two nights really has that big of an impact on the night-to-night attendance and the, the the variation we're seeing between this WrestleMania and WrestleMania 32, right? If we believe 65,000 people were at night one and what was it 79,000 were at WrestleMania 32? 80,709, yeah. Yeah. So do you think that splitting it between two nights has made it less attractive for some people to go than if it was just the one night and that if this was one, a one night WrestleMania, they would be at 80,000. Or do you think that the product is maybe colder than it was at WrestleMania 32, the, the attraction, not quite as big um, perhaps other factors like the pandemic still being uh, active is also a factor as well. But I was curious to know if you think like the two nights does kind of reduce, um, artifact kind of like, uh, artificially reduces the overall, the peak attendances, for either night, because there's two nights. I, I think the fact that night one and night two are almost so similar in attendance figures, and they're probably going to end up with a very similar annou- uh a number for tickets distributed when it's all said and done. I, I think Sunday's going to be, gonna be th- quite a bit lower by a few thousand, but we'll see. Right, but that's that's not that di- big of a difference to me. Like okay. we're talking about a tw- almost like a, like a like a fifteen thousand diff- point difference between. Um, I didn't
0: understand that. My phone
5: thinks I'm talking to it. Sorry. <laughs>
4: Okay. No, I, I, um, I think, I think like relative to 2016, I, I think 2016 in some ways is a, is a, is a peak in popularity for them that that started roughly when the network launched 2014, 2015, 2016. And that's what I see in metrics like paid ticket sales annually over that time, merchandise uh-huh. sales annually over that time, um, web search annually over that time. It, 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 Travels up to t- 2016, and then it travels down. And I think the product got colder over that time, and frustration among some fans about the quality of the product from about 2017 onward uh, grew over that time. and allowed the opportunity for something like AEW to be more possible. Um, so you now I, I think part of it is is the content. Um, part of it, a small maybe small part of it, is hesitancy about traveling. To uh, you know, I haven't been on a, on an airplane flight since since uh before the pandemic either um part of it is traveling and part of it is uh, the quality of the product and part of it um maybe is you know sort of the the dilution of doing two nights rather than one ultimately financially speaking if if your job is to further monetize this product two nights it's 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 probably worth a a bit of dilution for the greater revenue that you gain in the
5: end um so let's run through Go, go go ahead uh, yeah, no, I, no. I was basically just going to say that kind of what you what you said, which I think the product is colder. But I do think the two nights for people that are like veteran travelers that are veteran WrestleMania goers, I think the two nights can make it. It's 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 a lot more of an ask in some ways. I know Brian Alvarez talked about how why he didn't go, and he said as basically as bad as the one night was, this you know nine hour wrestling show, it was kind of one day, and you could kind of justify. Okay, my whole day is just going to be this marathon day. When you get to two. Yeah. And two times you have to get to the arena. Two times you have to f- sit in the arena for hours and hours and watch a lot of uh, commercials. Presumably, um, it just becomes a lot. It, I watched it, it that Snickers
4: commercial four times last night, at least, at least four at, times at a
5: minimum. What was it? Seamus bagpipes, she- both full of hot, hot air.
4: Yes. Uh,
5: <laughs> but you know, in, in this in this arena, I have never been to this this this. this have you been to? the the Arlington Texas no. stadium no I haven't either my understanding is that there's no public transportation to get there if you're staying in Dallas you kind of got to you know take a taxi cab or maybe take a couple buses and then an Uber ride it's not the easiest arena to get to and so that can also be a challenge over two days if you're like all right I'm staying you know thirty minutes away and I'm going to need to find my way there to rent a car all that stuff comes into play I think and maybe making this not as desirable to go to over two nights. And so people just stayed home. I don't know how big of a factor that is. I'm just kind of answered really, That's kind of what Brian Alvarez said, why he kind of prevented him from going to the show. And I think probably some other people felt the same way. It's also more expensive. It's like, okay, do I want to buy, you know, two nights worth of tickets at average price 225, which would be, right. you know, almost probably $500 right around that. That's an, you know, an additional expense that eh, maybe I don't want to do that. And I'll just, I don't think that, I don't think there's a lot of people just going to one night. There are clearly, but I kind of, yeah. I kind of don't think that there's just like one per. people are just going to one night. I think that the two nights does kind of keep attendance down and artificially in some way.
4: And, and I think what we'll, we're seeing as time goes on, sort of a bifurcation of, of the wrestling audiences more so where I think there's, there's more of a distinction. I think it's, we see it in the crowd reactions too, to the extent that we can still hear them. Um, there's a bifurcation between the, the WWE fans and, and the, and the not AEW fans or whatever, non-WE wrestling fans who I think are just more checked out on WWE or less willing to give WWE a shot. And and, and clearly, the people, the millions of people who are still willing to watch it on TV and uh, the tens of thousands of people who are still linked to attend an event like this uh, who are still with them. Um, but there's that. Um, just to quickly run through the other attendances uh, for the weekend so far... Stand and deliver with a 1 p.m. Eastern start. So that would be what? Noon local because they're in the central time zone. 4,366 at American Airlines Arena. Pretty low. Um, but that's the new NXT. And it's, uh, I guess, not a preferable uh, time slot. But you compare this to like NXT takeovers of the prior era where they were selling out basketball arenas like American Airlines Arena. That's exceptionally low. Um, but it's a different vision and it's more developmental now than it is an indie super show. Um, Stop me if you have any thoughts on this. Um, SmackDown and the Hall of Fame. One night, uh, WrestleTix, the previous number was also from WrestleTix. This from WrestleTix, 11,703 for the joint SmackDown and Hall of Fame speech to hear uh, Scott Steiner with a live mic. 11,703. Of the tickets that they put on sale, according to WrestleTix, 96% of them sold. So not bad, uh, not a not a complete sellout, but that's pretty close. Um, I haven't looked in in a bit what what the raw number is. Uh, we'll I guess we'll talk about that next week. But um, raw after mania used to be this really hot ticket that I have the impression that it's it's in previous years, uh, pre pandemic, it sold out immediately. Um, as far as I know, that it's not. I mean, we've tracked this in in previous weeks here. Uh, there were tickets available for Raw. I believe there still are tickets available for Raw. Uh, so the Raw after Mania has really changed, you know, and it's not like this. Again, I, th- I think that's that's evidence of, of the bifurcation of the audience where you have these people who used to attend Raw after Mania and uh, would probably give uh, crowd reactions that Vince McMahon didn't necessarily want. And uh, those people are still present to some extent, probably, but are less interested in, in attending w events today i think
5: uh you know what really surprised me I, it's funny i don't know what the raw after wrestlemania um attendance figure is at the moment but i saw wrestle had the smackdown after wrestlemania um tickets which is it's going to be in milwaukee at the the pfizer forum which is where the milwaukee bucks play so it's the biggest arena in town I think they had like this was a couple of days ago and they had like 4700 tickets distributed and Smackdown has been selling I would say in the last month or so pretty you know I think what is it they've had, they had like 9000 people in Birmingham Alabama Smackdown has been doing especially
4: doing, well among among all the, Right in the lead the up to shows. WrestleMania
5: and to see the tickets for after WrestleMania uh, granted it's one show but to see them at only 4700 in maybe not the largest market in in the in the world but you know Milwaukee's much larger than Birmingham, Alabama, uh, you know, I would consider like Milwaukee a relatively major sports market um, to see them only at 4,700 made me think kind of interested about what the they've been drawing. WWE has been drawing really well this past month, you know, Raw's been up, SmackDown's been up. Yeah. Um, Really interested to see like, is that all WrestleMania, you know, anticipation and after that it's going to drop like a lead balloon or are, or, you know, are they actually building some momentum as, as you, you kind of continue to tour?
4: So so WrestleTix as of last count this is date updated today uh 10,549 10,549 so about a 1000 lower than what Smackdown ended up being now there's still still a day to go for for Raw um but that's you know that's clearly not a situation where you can't get tickets you can get tickets for Raw right now if you want uh especially if you want to go to the resale market yeah. but but yeah. but
5: in that case, I think you have, um, you know, the two nights of WrestleMania might also again be a factor in that. People are exhausted after the two nights of WrestleMania; they don't want to stick around for Raw afterwards. Maybe previously, if they WrestleMania was one night, they're more willing to go to Raw on, on Monday night, right? Um, in the SmackDown one, it's the it's, it's the SmackDown Hall of Fame, and Undertaker is probably one of the two or three largest figures especially to the traveling wwe fan base he's probably the biggest to be honest like as far as like how much he means to those fans you could tell by the reaction he got last night when he came out um for like the kind of hall of fame ceremony during wrestlemania mm-hmm. um that is I, I was actually kind of surprised they didn't sell out I, under a thousand tickets to me is almost like a functional sellout in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but that's something that you're really not going to be able to duplicate on other shows is like undertaker's hall of fame ceremony. That's something that's going to happen once
4: undertaker's Ted talk. Yes. as I heard it was. (laughs) Um, so let's, let's talk about W president Nick Khan, his appearances this week on the town with Matt Bellany. We, he also appeared on CNBC. He said it was, I, I found it to be a very much a condensed version of the same thing, but, uh, the Town with Matt Bellany, Uh, we have a number of clips we'll play here. Um, we've already played the, the WrestleMania clip, uh, but let, let's listen to him talk about you know, some of his experiences with WWE before he was hired as the WWE president. So uh, Nick Khan was very involved with uh, helping WWE uh, finalized their current U.S. TV deals for Raw and SmackDown. So here's him talking a little bit about that.
2: So in 2017, we all started working on the U.S. media rights deal together. It was reported at $130 million a year as the AAV for Raw and SmackDown, our two weekly shows. We got in business together and there was a heavy multiple on that. I think it went to 3.6 times or something to that effect for those rights. So when you have success with somebody, it gives you even a better glimpse into the world in which they live. And in doing some other deals with WWE, the Hulu deal at the time, some stuff in the UK, we had also had some failures together. Also a good thing when you want to get into business with somebody. So I, I'm more most curious about what what the
4: failures are that he's talking about. Let's not get uh, blow this out of the proportion here. Uh, Raw and SmackDown did get a 3.6x increase. They more than tripled, almost quadrupled their TV rights fees from the prior deal that was made in 2014. Uh, this is the, he's talking about the deal that they're under right now. 3.6x increase. They're now getting paid $265 million per year on an average annual basis for Raw, $205 million per year. Uh, For SmackDown, which is helping them, which is by far the largest piece that's assuring them record-breaking financial year after record-breaking financial year. What are the failures he's talking about here? Do you have any guesses, Jesse?
5: Um, it's hard to say, and I I wanted he gets into this later in the interview, but Nick seems really focused on increasing WWE's. IP and the kind of programming that it can produce beyond just raw SmackDown and NXT. Mm-hmm. They talk about the the A and E shows, the the, the the shows that came out as like Peacock exclusive, the WWE Evil series, the the Vince McMahon movie, the the documentary that's coming out, um, the, the the Netflix documentary. So they have all these other projects and he's he seems really big on you know we need to expand he says later in this interview i don't know if you're going to play the audio clip but he says like we don't think we've been capitalized on enough when it comes to our intellectual property and the kind of content that we can produce mm-hmm. so it's possible when he talks about these failures is that they've pitched a lot of ideas that haven't been received you know particularly well by maybe some of their partners or other distributors um so that could be one of them just off the top of my head uh He also mentions that when it came to making the Peacock deal that they took a hometown discount. Um, so perhaps maybe they're the, even though that deal I think has been very financially successful for them and allowed them to wash their hands of the network, um, and kind of put that cost on NBCU, maybe it wasn't as much as they wanted it to get. I don't know.
4: I I think I get the impression that ESPN was interested in, in, in their, their network rights, um, and that ESPN was, was sort of miffed that they didn't go with them. So I could see ESPN offering them more money, but they'll be choosing NBC universal because of the existing partnership uh, with raw and NXT and some of the reality programming. Um, I wonder if he's talking about the UK deal, which seems to have been at best, a lateral movement in value. Uh, maybe, maybe a, a downgrade where they left sky sports in the UK and are now on BT sport and channel five. Um, I think the UK deal was worth something in the neighborhood of 30 33 million dollars average annual value with with Sky. I think it's you know again I think it's worth not more where whereas there are other you know, obviously the, the the US TV deal was more than tripled. Uh the India TV deal. India has now surpassed the UK with with this round of negotiations here that happened in you know 2019 or so. Uh India has surpassed the uk Uh, india went from about 28 million dollars aav to 50 million dollars so roughly doubling the the value of uh of the india deal with sony uh so maybe he's talking about the uk deal here i don't know maybe he's talking about the value that they got out of nxt Uh, I, i believe he was involved with negotiations to put nxt on the usa network in 2019 um what did they get i i still believe like at best until somebody you know, proves me wrong or tells me otherwise i think they're just getting something that's equal to or close to the value of like an ad revenue share um and that nxt uh part of the play was to put nxt part of the play was to compete with AEW dynamite but part of the play was to put nxt on linear tv to see if it could get really strong tv rights fees like ron smackdown do uh and to my view that has not happened at all um and i think the again that they're just getting sort of an ad revenue share maybe part of that is what happened in you know in 2019 uh, as well but um curious comment so um we'll talk about uh, or nick will talk about in in this interview clip uh W's relationship
2: with media yeah and by the way yes in the in the bigger cities we do as well share-wise in terms of viewership as we do in the smaller cities. So it's really programming that appeals to everyone. We also now have the kids who are watching it in the 80s and 90s. Let's say you, let's say Bill Simmons. All of a sudden in these positions, in my opinion, of power where your voice matters. And you could say, yeah, I used to watch it as a kid. So I think 20 years or so ago, Vince would have to pitch the product and beg people to take meetings. Certainly there were no podcasts then, but beg people to do an interview. If you remember contentious interview with Armin Kateyan on Real Sports with Costas on his show. We'll get to that. Right? People had no respect Mm -hmm. for a product that, in my opinion, should have been respected and now is respected far more than it was. So folks like you and Billy make it easy. Yeah, yeah, we grew up with it. Yeah, happy to get together and talk about this stuff. It's a lot easier to sell now than it was then.
4: So a lot of things to unpack there. Uh, the the thing that I'm going to bring up first is that he's m- making it sound like, and maybe we could parse his words here, but he's making it sound like, you know, Vince, uh, we... we Longtime uh, observers of of Vince McMahon will, will remember moments like this. Year old boy and has been on trial between for Vince killing a and, and, Bill Costas, girl. Where, uh, Vince and Bill Costas. Where Vince McMahon and Bill Costas go head to head here on HBO Sports. Sure he saw them on the WWF, but he could have. <laughs> no one is saying, say and there isn't research to back up any direct causal relationship between seeing that or seeing war movies. But does it give you pause at all?
2: You were to to read something you know like that. You're supposed to come here and know your stuff, okay? And if you're going to jump me and jump all over me, then you should have watched some of this and you should really know your facts. I've, I've seen some of it. I'm disappointed, disappointed. Vince. I mean, I've seen none, some of it. Would you let
4: me finish?
2: Absolutely. What I'm going to say, there, pal. Okay, with a big smile. <laughs> this is this is amusing. No, it is
3: amusing. You, you're amusing me. Okay, good. Okay, it's both, your show. We're both amused. It's your show. So you know. You, you've got to have the forum here. I understand that. You so know,
4: there, there is Vince with with Bob Costas, and then a couple of years. That was about two thousand one, and then a couple of years later, uh, HBO did a did a special on um on the deaths that were happening to, to wrestlers, especially at that time, who we were dying in their forties and things like that. And this is a short clip of of Vince McMahon saying, "Have a reason why uh, these people are dying
5: at the age of forty
2: five? Why don't you ask yourself that question? I mean, why why?" What, are you indicating that's my responsibility? These people are dead? because I'm asking you if it's
5: in any way, shape, or form falls on your shoulders.
2: I, I would accept no responsibility whatsoever for their untimely deaths. None whatsoever. As far as far And you've got that little look on your face like, yeah, I'm, geez, I'm, Vince, none, how can you possibly
5: none, say that? Well, but none whatsoever. I mean, they exactly. wrestled for you. They, they were part me, of they, your organization. They, they worked a, a couple of hundred nights a year for you.
2: They oh live god. this oh, lifestyle. Oh my god, you can't you can't believe can you see that look? I mean
4: So there's the infamous moment where where Vince slaps the notes out of Armageddon's hands. Um that's what that's I bring these out because well this is just to show this is what Nick was referring to. It makes it sound like media didn't have respect for WB. In in a in a sense that is true. Uh I think it's very clear that Vince was 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 the aggressor in these situations. Um so any, any thoughts on that before I keep going here, Jesse?
5: I have a lot of thoughts about it. <laughs> um, so on the surface, Nick has a is correct in his assessment in that I do think that the people who are maybe making decisions at the executive level in media, he mentions Bill Simmons, um, or anyone else who's in their maybe 40s or 50s has a they grew up with WWE in a lot of cases, especially if they were sports fans or they they're familiar with WWE and, and Vince McMahon. And so in a way, the way the the way society views pro wrestling and views Vince McMahon, you know, maybe people under the age of 60 is very different than maybe people over the age of 60, in the sense that they grew up with WWE and they they may be they maybe know some bad stuff about Vince or anything like that, but by and large, the way he's treated is as like kind of this wacky figure who's had a lot of success in this crazy pro wrestling industry. And he's kind of viewed as like this harmless figure, right? And I think that that translates a lot to a lot of these interviews that you see. Mm -hmm. Um, The second aspect of this is the media's relationship, not just to WWE, to a lot of different entities when it comes to reporting in the sports and entertainment industry. in that if you both the Costas interview and the, the contain the interview, right. There is a um, very critical assessment of WWE. And it's almost like here, we're going to do this expose on this big story. And we've got the presidents and CEO of the company to come in and talk about Some of these problems. People are dying. People wrestling is unsafe for children. It's a bad influence, and the industry killed all of these these wrestlers. And and it's a very critical assessment of it. Today, the mainstream coverage of WWE, in particular, is it's not only is it it's not an expose by and large. It's not um, hostile at all. It's not even critical. And if you look at it, it's often. Almost like a content partnership with these mainstream media outlets. In in the case of this interview, WWE has a relationship with The Ringer. Correct. There's a paid relationship between, uh, uh, there's a business agreement between The Ringer and WWE for The Ringer to contribute positive WWE coverage. That's basically what it is, right? And, And in turn, The Ringer gets things like David Shoemaker got the Cody interview right after WrestleMania. Obviously, that's probably like a big scoop that comes about because of this. Um, and the town is a podcast on the, the Ringer Podcast Network. So it's not a surprise that Nick Khan's on this podcast and he's not coming on WrestleNotics and he's not coming on Wrestling Observer Radio. He's on um, CNBC with their their partners at NBC Universal. Yeah. And even more that like I like I, I'm a big fan of The Ringer. I watch listen to a fair amount of their podcasts. I, I read the website on a regular basis. I think they do a lot of good jobs in a lot of different fields. I'm disappointed that The View is like, "Well, oh, let's partner with WWE so we can get some WWE content out there and we can have their wrestlers on our podcasts and we can write about how stupendous the first night of WrestleMania was. Um, I have noticed The Athletic, which is recently bought by the New York Times, but is a subscription-based sports website. They also cover wrestling, but they really just cover WWE. And if you look at their coverage of WWE, it's very different than their coverage of Major League Baseball or the National Football League or professional soccer. It's not in-depth. It's not critical assessment of anything. It's just like, oh, here's a fun feature on how great Sasha Banks is. And I'm not saying there's not space for that, but it seems to me that when it comes to the mainstream media coverage of wrestling, it's so different than what you were showing like in the Kostas interview, which is this you know scandalous expose of this really dangerous, bad industry It is now like, how can we get some extra eyeballs on our product? And much like the way WWE partners with NBC Universal and Fox to produce contents for those networks, they are partnering in a way with these mainstream media outlets to get positive publicity for them and to, in a lot of ways, avoid potential negative coverage.
4: Yeah, I I think that's a a, a strong point to make that there is... And let me just play this, this quick introduction from Brian Gumbel from the 2003 HBO sports piece.
3: ...than sport and more con than competition, there would seem to be little about pro wrestling that could or even should be taken seriously. But there is one deadly serious aspect that merits attention, and that is that wrestlers have been dying young at a rate that is 400% higher than normal.
4: So just just the, I mean, obviously that that's relative to the story that they're talking about, which is these you know unnecessarily early deaths but the sort of condescending there's nothing to take seriously about this hokey business uh i apologize for even covering this we're only covering it because there's this very serious issue disclaimer whereas now as you as you i i think the point you're making jesse is that there's people who've grown up as fans and it's it's much it's more fluff type content um and I don't really know how to explain why there isn't more critical coverage in the mainstream about WWE. Um
5: I can explain that. I think.
4: <laughs> Please do. Two elements to it.
5: And, and not the not first. limited to mainstream. but go ahead. <laughs> so I'm talking, yeah, in, in the mainstream media. So the first element is almost related to what Brian Gubble says, which is, There's almost nothing to be taken seriously in pro wrestling. You can just stop right there. The fact that wrestling—the number one thing the average person knows about pro wrestling—is that it's fake. Correct? Mm -hmm. Right. If you were to ask and someone who couldn't name a single wrestler, like, "Oh, pro wrestling music," isn't that fake? Mm -hmm. Right. It's the number one thing people know about it. And so it—it exists in this kind of strange world where we don't have to cover it that seriously because it's fake. And even though there are these serious stories about it ultimately it's fake. So therefore we can kind of, we don't have to critically evaluate it. Closely. Yeah. Right. Some wrestling media people will say wrestling's supposed to be fun. Let's just cover it. Cause it's fun. You know, let's come on. Don't be so mad. It's just, it's stupid pro wrestling. I disagree with that assessment um, in the sense that, but the inherently the idea that wrestling being fake is the number one kind of message that most people have about professional wrestling lends itself to poor media scrutiny because people can just kind of wash it off as all just big, this big ruse. Even if it's something serious, like all these people are dying, it's, it's pro wrestling. It's not a real sport. So it doesn't get treated as such, even if the issues are just as real as issues in the NFL or the NBA or college sports or anything that gets covered at a way more critical level.
4: And that, the that, second I think, reason for, Oh, go ahead. Finish your point.
5: No, no, no. Make your point. I got a second, separate reason. But if
4: you and I think part of the issue is that nobody knows what category of of media or news to put to put pro wrestling in. The sports sports department doesn't want to have it in their sports department because it's it's fake and the finishes are predetermined. And um, I don't know. The entertainment industry sees it as the lowest brow form of entertainment, um, you know that there is. So it's not something that the entertainment department wants to take that seriously. It's not something that the sports department wants to defile itself with. So nobody knows. No, there's nobody knows who should cover this. I guess, and and what we end up with is now, just partly a good thing is that we have at least more coverage of it from these sort of. I think they're all former fans to be quite honest who aren't, aren't week to week fans in in modern times, but when they were kids or whatever, which is, you know, what the, the eighties or the early nineties, which is when this was, especially a a WF was a kids oriented product, you know, that's when they grew an affinity for it. Um, So that's, that's what's accounting for that, that change. Go ahead.
5: Yeah. And my second point is somewhat related to what you said, which is, who are the people that are covering this at the mainstream level? And, um, I think you and I, Brandon can agree that the people who would do the best job covering professional wrestling, um, in an overall sense are not necessarily the people who are going to get jobs in mainstream with mainstream media outlets. Um, maybe they already have their own outlets like David Meltzer or Wade Keller or John Pollock, but, they're not going to be person who's already working at The Athletic or already working at um, CBS Sports or something like that. Hmm. You mentioned it. It's going to be like former fans. It's going to be um, people who, who maybe grew up watching it and will get, like the opportunity of like, oh, I get to cover pro wrestling and I get to interview like Stone Cold Steve Austin maybe one time. Right. And I think that contributes at the mainstream media level to poor coverage in a lot of ways because it's not necessarily – it's not necessarily that the writers are maybe out of their depth. A lot of it to me comes down to editorial and management. And if I am a, like you said, the sports department maybe doesn't want pro wrestling. If if you are running a sports department, and you're like, Oh, we're going to cover some pro wrestling. You know, you probably repurpose a college football writer who maybe has some interest in pro wrestling and they're going to write a story about pro wrestling and they're going to cover it. And they might just get stuff wrong. And stuff mistakes in, in in the way things are represented on a pro wrestling story is not necessarily going to be held to the same standard that it would be covering mainstream sports. Because mm-hmm. if the editor or the person who's overseeing the content does not have really any specific knowledge about pro wrestling, they're just going to take their word for it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I and I see that kind of happens a lot when you see mistakes and factual miscues and and things like that and the way things being represented it being very clearly kind of one-sided in a way that also contributes it tr- contributes it um i talked to or i talked to uh, justin Barrasso about this at one point and i think I, in sports my experience so justin works for sports illustrated in my experience justin is like the most serious wrestling fan that is probably working with like a major recognized mainstream outlet as far as like what his interests are and stuff like that. And I remember asking him like, how did you get, how did you convince people to let you write about pro wrestling? And he said, you know, I had people who were on the editorial staff who were big pro wrestling fans and they really championed it and allowed me to pursue it when maybe in other sports departments that wouldn't be encouraged. And I think, I don't know if that's the case for a lot of these mainstream media outlets that are covering pro wrestling, but I think that is probably the, 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 um the factor. I mean, I, I, I read, I listen to a lot of Bill Simmons podcasts. I think Bill Simmons is probably perhaps the biggest single wrestling fan that is in a very that is kind of like at his level of power within the broader media atmosphere. And I know Bill's wrestling takes, they're not necessarily like um super enlightened. It's like a lot of it, oh my kid got back into it and I started watching it too and he knows enough about the industry probably more than than the average way more than the average person, but he's not necessarily, you know, a Dave Meltzer a Wade Keller type that's going to be able to look at everything with a super critical and be able to assess it in a clean way. And I think that's reflected in a lot of the ringers coverage of pro wrestling personally. Right.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership
4: Um, so I, th- I think we're, we can stay on the topic of, of media coverage of, of wrestling, uh, maybe in, 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 relation to this next topic, but, uh, and in, 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 fairness to, to Matt Bellany, he, he, does push back on, um, on, this? on, on some of Nick's, uh, responses, uh, including to this, this subject. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's play the clip now where he's talking about, um, Talent relations and um, whether or not, uh, yeah, how, how talent uh, development is, is a meritocracy.
3: Yeah, I mean, some of the attention does come on the group uh, over the relationship with the wrestlers. And there's been you know, claims of, of abuse and people who have had negative uh negative experiences with the group, but what have you done or are you doing anything to change that impression? And how does, how is the relationship? If I asked a, not the stars, if I asked, you know, middle of the road wrestler for WWE, how how, how do you feel you're treated? What would that person say?
2: Look, I, I think number one, everyone's treated humanely, mm-hmm. which everyone obviously deserves to be treated that way. I do think there's analogies with our company and other companies. So you're a big Dodgers guy. I am. Right. Lakers, still a big Lakers guy. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. tough Shaq guy. Was Shaq treated better than any player on the team other than Kobe?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Of course. That's the way it is. But they weren't going public with claims that they had to, you know, take steroids and do other things to keep up. I mean, I I get it. It's, it's, but it's, it's different. It's not sports. It's show business. This is a. Show,
2: it, it's definitely show business. So, and I know we had discussed earlier that this will be the Will Smith, Chris Rock stuff would be old news by that time. Feel
3: free to but slap me if you have any problems. That with this would be question. you to me, I mean, you know, not me. No, um, but you literally—you have a boss that could that could slap or body slam you at any moment. Any moment. We don't we don't want any kind of problems like that.
2: Um, but even on the Will Smith thing, like, he wasn't escorted out of that room last night. It, Part of it was people didn't know what to do because they hadn't experienced it before, but part of it was that he's Will Smith and, you know, tough to have security, you know, grab him and toss him out of the building. So I get the position that they were in. It's the same way with us. It's a meritocracy. So if you're at the top of the card, you know, Hey, maybe you have a bigger dressing room than the person at the bottom of the card, but everyone has the same opportunity to earn their way there. Everyone has the
4: same opportunity to earn their way to the top of the card says Nick Khan, uh, the stand of scrutiny,
5: Jesse. Brandon, find me a, a CEO, a company president of any corporation of any job that will say that their business is not a meritocracy. <laughs> it is the most hollow, empty um, statement you can make. It means nothing about about it. To, to an extent, wrestling is a meritocracy, right? Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin probably made a lot more money last night than, uh, I don't know, Rick Boogs. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's because Stone Cold Steve Austin and he probably got bigger perks. You know, he maybe got his own dressing room. Maybe maybe they maybe they paid for his transportation. Right. Um, so, yeah, he, I mean, he's right. I mean, I don't think now I give I give Matt uh, Bellamy a lot of credit. You know, Matt is he's excited. This was a friendly interview for starters. Right. Mm-hmm. You can even tell from that clip that they seem to have a relationship before. This is not the first yeah. time they met. It, this isn't, you know, Bob Costas leaning closer to Vince McMahon to ask him, you know, why did these children die? It's a it's a friendly interview. Um, but Matt, more than pretty much anyone else that interviews wrestlers, is a real reporter. He's the ex-editor of The Hollywood Reporter and and has, you know, some journalistic integrity that he tries to maintain, at least He's in this with, interview
4: with the puck now. by
5: pushing back a little bit. and He does a pretty good job in
4: mm-hmm.
5: that end. And uh, to me. Like he, but he, but to an extent, he also asks kind of like an outdated question, which is like guys were forced to take steroids to feel like they had to compete, which is maybe true to an extent now in wrestling, but is also something that feels like something that was maybe more relevant 25 to 35 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I the- believe,
4: I tend to believe, I don't think there were, was ever a discussion between Vince McMahon and a wrestler at any point in Vince McMahon's career where he said, you have to get on steroids. Now, maybe people felt pressured. I'm sure... Many people, especially in the 80s and 90s, maybe earlier 90s, felt pressure to use steroids to compete with their peers. Um, I'm more skeptical that Vince pulled somebody in the room and said, you know what, pal, you got to get on some Deca. Um, But I think, yeah, an immense pressure to this day to have a, a, a great physique to compete with your peers.
5: Right. And if everyone that's being pushed has a certain type of physique it's whether it's you know directly told or not it's the same result especially, especially in that, that sort of
4: steroids. mid2000s era where you know the, the two new guys getting the big push were Batista and John Cena and God they were like the most they, they both looked the most like bodybuilders out of anybody in that company
5: they um, were bodybuilders
4: indeed and uh so I, th- I think there's you know you you look around the room and look look at who's getting the push and uh if you see Batista and John Cena you know look, look like they're they're jacked to the gills well, I got maybe if I look more like them, I'll get a better opportunity uh to be at the top of the card or to work with them or to take their spot. so there's that
5: yeah, but to me, like when we talk about like you have the picture of Ali and Brock Lesnar, right, mm-hmm. there are a lot more questions about talent relations that are more uh relevant from a time standpoint than maybe asking about steroids, mm-hmm. right? I would be asking about Saudi Arabia. Yeah, you know, wrestlers being the wrestlers being left on the wrestlers who weren't were deemed expendable were left on the plane, and the wrestlers who were deemed important enough were taken off the plane. Or, I don't really care if you know Roman Reigns has his own private dressing room, and I think Nick Khan kind of you know um, artfully spins the question and kind of directs it towards a more relatable way that doesn't seem perhaps as egregious, right? Um, in a way, uh, you know the third party deals and 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 being able to profit off of your likeness. And all of those kind of aspects seem to be more like, t- like relevant questions about like, what is your relationship with your talents?
4: Uh right. what we've been seeing lately is um, I know there was at the, I believe the last Endeavor earnings call, um, Brandon Ross from Lightshed was asking, I believe it's Ari, Ari Emanuel, about what the revenue sh- split is like in, in UFC uh, with the fighters versus, you know, the company um, in a lot of sports you know major team sports it's believed that it's about 50-50 50% of the revenue ends up going to the players um less than 50% of the revenue is going to the fighters in the UFC i would venture to guess that far less uh, than whatever percentage fighters in the UFC are getting far less of that uh, uh, WWE wrestlers are getting a lower percentage of that in an environment where wwe is making more money than ever where they just got you know not just i but up in 2018 got a 3.6x increase in their biggest tv deals they seem well positioned to get at least a moderate increase in in the upcoming negotiations that will you know start maybe this year or next year but we will, will be completed in late 2024 um this company is on track to to set profitability records every year for the foreseeable future uh uh barring any any some any any catastrophe and then this this company just endured a pandemic the worst times of a pandemic where they were more profitable than ever during that time too. And in fact, in some ways, the pandemic caused them to lower their expenses because they didn't have to go on the road and and, and set up, you know, and, and, and incur massive production costs that come with putting on the kind of production that they put on in arenas. Um, company company's more profitable than ever. Are the are the wrestlers benefiting from that? Maybe to some extent. I do sense that uh wrestlers are getting paid more. Are they getting paid more though because the company is making more? I doubt that so much as it's the fact that there's a competition for talent among WWE and AEW and that's you know at least benefiting some talent in terms of them being able to get better deals but these uh, but but wrestlers are probably getting a pretty low percentage of the revenue and not to mention that they're classified as independent contractors when if you do an IRS 10 factor test or something like that I think any reasonable person would would conclude that wrestlers, especially in WWE, but in AEW also are misclassified as independent contractors when really they're being treated as
5: employees. Right. And Vince can fire someone at any time and you get your 90 days of pay and then you're done. But if you want to leave your contract, ho, 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 you can't, as the picture of Ali will show people that mm-hmm. you know the contracts work f- much better for one person than they do for the other party. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the revenue sharing between the talent and the amount of profit that the company is making is not the equivalent to other companies. And going back, I don't want to harp too much on the media coverage, but going back to the media coverage, like when Kevin Owens re-signed with WWE, framed as this, like, oh, he got so much money. He got such a great deal. What a great day day it is to be Kevin Owens because he got so much money. It's like, did he? I'm sure he got a lot of money. Like he got a lot of money it's like you or I, Brandon, but did he really get a lot of money relative to the value of a wrestler in WWE? Kind of skeptical of that.
4: Yeah. Um, so we'll do one more clip from Nikon's interview on the town. This is uh, his comments about um, Matt Bellany raising the issue of whether it ate or whether WWE would be acquired by NBC Universal. Um, so here's that comment.
2: Look, you know, as we say, we're open for business. So if you look at what does NBCU slash Comcast lack that they need, and I think it's a factual statement, they don't have the intellectual property that some other companies have. They certainly don't have the Disney treasure trove of IP, nor should they. But if you've had the experience, I'm not suggesting good or bad. Have you taken your kid yet to Universal Studios? Actually, we're going next month. You'll see what you've already read about. You'll see a Jaws ride, which they can't do anything with. I'm sure they'd love to have an annual summer Jaws limited series on Peacock. They can't do it unless Spielberg agrees to it. And obviously he has not. You'll see a Harry Potter ride, which is obviously Warner. You'll see, I think it's open now, a Mario Brothers thing, which is Nintendo. So in terms of their own IP for their theme parks, you'll see minions yep. all over the place.
3: Well, that's the thing. My, my kid saw a commercial for the Secret Life of Pets ride, and he was like, I want to go there. So we're going. It matters. Yep. Right. It matters. So I, I think they look at us, or at least the way
2: I'd like to think they look at us, is an entity that has a treasure trove of intellectual property. A lot of it has been largely not exploited yet. We're in the process of doing that. There's a bunch of scripted and unscripted announcements we have this week. So there's that.
4: I think that's one of the more honest parts of this interview, partly because he's kind of leveraging, it sounds to my ear, he's he's kind of leveraging, hey, look, uh, here's a weakness for M- Universal Studios. But they don't have a lot of cell phone IP. And wouldn't it be great if they came up with some deal, whether it's, Outright acquisition or just a licensing deal to include WBIP in, into something like Universal Studios?
5: Yeah, well, um, if this comes on the what wasn't part of that clip is it comes on the heels of a question that uh, the host asks, which is when Nick talks about the Peacock deal. And Matt's kind of like, well, you know, Peacock's not Disney Plus or Netflix, it's not like this really strong streaming platform. And then Nick kind of says, well, because it's not Disney Plus or Netflix, WWE is even more valuable to it because of the intellectual property it can bring to the table because Universal doesn't have it at the Disney level, doesn't have it at the the Time Warner, HBO Max level. Um, So there's that. I mean, this this has been a discussion. I'm really kind of fascinated in what other ways WWE can think it can exploit its brand to consumers. You know, you can have these kind of historically based TV shows like the WWE evil programming or the the hidden Treasures show on A and E and these kind of like historic based reality shows or docu-series. We've seen WW try, you know, rest WWF restaurants, WWF New York, um the one in Niagara Falls, which was open yes. much longer. The pile the driver. TV. The pile driver Yes, that drive. was the 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 um eclipse tower. That was on top of the building. Yeah. Like a WWE themed amusement park ride. Well, that's what I thought of when he was talking about like universal studios. Right. Uh, you know, I can say this universal is building a third park in Orlando, Florida that, um, I forget exactly what it's called, but they have islands of adventure and they have universal studios. They're currently in the process of building a third park. There is not a WWE land that is on their radar screen that they are developing. Perhaps maybe one day they will expand and we will have, be able to ride the Hulk Hogan experience. Yes. Um, I, I want to ride or, or, the, um, the 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 Vince McMahon brass ring ride. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, so. Like I don't. I remember, like, what do you like? Like, use your imagination. Like, what do you think that there could be possibly other ways that maybe WWE could be exploiting its IP beyond maybe like just like doing some docu series TV shows. Like, what else can NBC get out of the WWE relationship beyond just maybe filling some TV hours?
4: I, I think th- the theme park. Licensing deal is something that that could be done. And I think there's that would add to their attractions. Right. I mean, we've, we've heard the topic brought up over the years. Of, why isn't there a physical Hall of Fame for W? You, know, you do this Hall of Fame ceremony every year. Um, and I, I know at least Triple H has sort of, you know, downplayed that idea that they didn't want to do a physical Hall of Fame. I, I can see that not working out for them if they're doing that independently. But if there's you know a W Hall of Fame as part of an, an a Universal Studios theme park, maybe that makes a lot more sense. Um, but yeah, and theme parks sort of just popped up in this interview as something that's yeah, and, and we might have discussed this in passing over the years a couple of times. But uh, probably something that that should should be more towards the top of my mind in terms of you know ways that they could license their intellectual property. To um to to drive more revenue and it it brings to mind too sort of the, the difference between W and A W here in that I let, let's let's imagine we're in a future where where A W is is way more popular and way more has way more name ID and legacy uh, than it does now as a what three year old company um if things if their relationship with talent and their trademarks are what. Are then what they are today? I, I you know, where where the talent can, seems to control their their names and their likenesses and their their trademarks more so than W. Talent do I don't know that A. W. would would have the ability to 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 do a deal like this. Like would would A. W. be able to license out, you know, a CM Punk's likeness or MJF's likeness? I don't know that they would have the the rights to do that, but W. does because there's you know you can look at the U. S. P. T. O. filings and see how how regularly they're, they're, they're filing trademarks, uh, for their
5: talent. Yeah. That's a good point about that. This does give WWE flexibility. It's, it's kind of interesting because WWE has, um, AEW seems like they're so far away in their current scheme, scheme, uh, to, to try to exploit something like that, because, you know, what is Tony focused on? He's focused on getting in his next TV deal and maybe finding a streaming partner and, maybe getting some sponsors for his show. Like it's just WWE is because they're so, they've had so many years of of, of being a powerful corporation. They're continuing looking for new ways to find revenue, um, which is what you want to do to impress your stockholders is to say, look, we, you know, we're doing this now and we're doing that. And I think the big thing we've seen last year or two on WWE programming is the like live on-air sponsorships of certain things. Everyone remembers the, the 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 rock uh, the rocks Netflix movie and the 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 the, the was it was the stone?
4: golden egg remember. the, the egg. golden yes. egg <laughs> the Pizza Hut yeah, battle the royal the the Rey Mysterio uh, Victoria beer wrestling gear last night the um the entrance of Nakamura and yes. Boogs was sponsored by Mark Mike's Hard Lemonade here we're giving them a plug right now because of this.
5: Yeah, and there was the uh, the Pizza Hut Battle Royal that they had, I think, um, mm-hmm. a while back. They had the Miz movie with Miz Got Eaten By uh, – I mean, it wasn't the Miz movies. The Batista movie, but the Miz Got the Eaten zombies. By Zombies. Yes, um, I forget. You're seeing way more of those in WWE programming, like not just ads during WWE programming, although you're certainly seeing more of those on pay-per-view since – it moved to Peacock, but like, like, like advertisements within the product itself.
4: Yeah. Do you um, think that's a, is that a net positive? Obviously you get to make a deal that, that company, that sponsor agrees to pay you X number of dollars. And maybe there's other things that come along with that relationship that are beneficial. Um, is it, is it worth it though? I think there are negatives associated with that. In terms of how you execute it, I guess, but especially you know the the zombie thing, you know, even the most usually pro WWE uh, media people were were critical of of the zombies. Um, I I don't know that it doesn't reinforce uh, a you know a, an alienated relationship with your fan base and with your potential fan base when you do things like that.
5: Right. I remember I was talking to somebody um about the pizza hut battle royal kind of thing and they said from a business from an advertising standpoint if you're pizza hut and you watch this crappy battle royal like do you actually want your product associated with something that fans feel negatively about
4: Mm
5: -hmm. um now that is a big assessment um or a big um uh a big kind of um assumption that the people watching pizza Hut would be able to identify that the battle royal is poor and it's a big assumption to think that the people who were, you know, who were producing the the, the zombie movie understood that the Miz segment was really bad. Um, They might just be like, oh, ho, ho, pro wrestling. So weird. Ha, what is this? Like, they might not think that it's like really stupid. I don't know. Uh,
4: and in the end results, kinda... I understand the Batista zombie movie that they were promoting did very well. So it's not like there's a result in, in that partner's business where they're like, well, this didn't work out.
5: Right. Well, you know, this, it's a movie. It could, uh, there could be a million factors and why it succeeded at the box office and failed And one advertising. Yeah. Uh, aspect of it is not right. going to change that that much, but it is kind of you're right about like alienating your fans. I I, I agree. Like, um, I think Vince has always been. I, I mean, he has to have been; otherwise, it would have happened a million years ago. Has always been kind of against putting advertisements on the ring, like mm-hmm. you see in a lot of like Japanese promotions, and you see in UFC and right. And you, you see in WWE like like, to an extent too. Yes, that was a big thing when a- AEW, which was funny because I didn't even notice it, and then everyone was freaking out like uh, about this advertisement that was on it. And I was like, I'm just so used to—I don't know if it's watching a lot of New Japan or watching other sports where advertisements are just everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have like, uh, but Vince, I think is as it must be against that concept. But yeah, like special outfits, plugging it during shows, having like your your dumb comedy match be sponsored by something—I think that's all different new ways to exploit. WWE's product in a way that can earn additional revenue that maybe they haven't exploited fully before. Um, I just, I'm really skeptical on like the idea that WWE fans and people that understand wrestling are going to pursue like non-wrestling related things because it has some fake connection with pro wrestling, like going to the WWF New York or going to, to see a WWE scripted movie that comes out to theaters or going to an amusement park because it has a WWE attraction. I I just don't know. I kind of, I don't feel like they have the kind of, I don't think that, you know, Nick says it a million times. We want to be Marvel. We want to be Disney. I just, it's hilarious to me to think of WWE being like that because I just don't think that they have that kind of cachet um, outside of maybe a small section of their own fan base.
4: Yeah. And um, I think part of it too is, is the relationship with, with your audience. I think the W audience, while there are many who still are very enthusiastic about, about it, I uh, I I have I see many people on Twitter who may or may not be burner accounts, you know, yelling various things in my, my Twitter replies when I accidentally look at them. Uh, so there's still a lot of people who are passionate about W and who love exactly what they're doing now. There's a lot of people who are less engaged with it than they would be because they feel alienated by it because I... You know, I think WWE over certainly since about 2016 to the present, and maybe it's leveling off now finally, but 2016 roughly to the to the present has turned off its core audience, damaged its relationship with that audience. And I think when, you know, you've, you've got a potential audience there that, that if they felt better about this product, trusted this product, they would be more willing to engage with, with these products that your company is associated with, um, but you're left with with who's left and uh that's that's fewer people and that means less engagement for your
5: partners. Yeah, you've talked about it a lot before in the past where WWE is benefiting a lot from a very competitive content market when it comes to all of these various entities looking to fill TV time with WWE's products. Um and that's you know led to the increase in television, you know, rights despite the fact that viewership is like total viewership is half what it was five or six years ago for a show like Raw. And how much more could they be successful if they didn't turn off half of their audience? Right. If they didn't, you know, if they were being successful, I know you have the chart with the Google Trends, if people want a more, I do, a different metric beyond television viewership. But as you see, um, WWE in the, the far left,
4: they, they, it looks like they're breaking their streak. So what we're looking at here okay. on the screen for, for people on, watching on YouTube is yeah. uh, worldwide Google web search uh, monthly year-over-year comparisons uh, for all these promotions, including WB. Uh, WB has been until January of this year had been on uh, a streak of negative comparisons going back to something like mid 2018. It it goes beyond the chart we're seeing here. From roughly mid-2018, their worldwide Google web search trends were a negative comparison every month until January 2021. And March is up also. February was down, but January was up 9%. March was up 10%.
5: So when I was looking at that chart, um, what's interesting, and WWE is really in a different stratosphere than all of these other wrestling companies. Mm -hmm. So it's I don't know how much of a point you can draw between the two. But and
4: WB to be clear, so we're not misleading people. WB would I, I I can do like a pie chart of all these companies. What we've got here are you know the 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 wrestling companies that would come to mind first for people, and there's about fifteen of them, including AEW, New Japan, Impact, Ring of Honor, Stardom, and so on. If we put a pie chart together of all the web search that all those companies uh, draw over over the course of most any recent time period, we would get about eighty percent of that volume going to WWE, and the 20% divvied up among the rest, just give you an idea of the overwhelming dominance of WWE, at least when it comes to web search. And I think that's reflective of other things, but yeah.
5: Right. But looking at the trends overall, what's interesting to me is that with the exception of a few different companies, most of these companies experiencing negative year-over-year trends throughout 2020 and 2021, just like WWE. And then most of those companies turning that trend around in 2022. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's a return to live audiences making a big factor, but it's interesting to note that like, just looking at this chart, a company like um, Dragon Gate or NOAA, well, those have different accounts. Like Dragon Gate, because Dragon Gate is a very consistent company year to year for the most part, you know, down for most of 2020 and 2021, and then up, you know, in the last few months in 2022. You can look at other companies like that, even AEW kind of following a somewhat similar metric, although you can see big increases for things like CM Punk and Brian Danielson's debut. But for the most part, WWE is kind of similar to a lot of the trends in other companies. I don't know how relevant that is, because like you said, WWE is just in such a different stratosphere. But I did find it kind of interesting that their trends kind of mirror the trends of other promotions, um, with a few exceptions here and there.
4: Yeah, I I think it's um, based on the table that we're looking at here, I think it's meaningful that... Um, in, since July, 2021, since they've been back on the road, there were still negative comparisons, July, August, September, October, November, December. Um, there's that happening. Um, I don't have it immediately at, at my fingertips right now, but I can compare this and I've tweeted charts like this, uh, just looking at, or let's not look at other wrestling companies. Let's compare WWE to other sports leagues over a long course of time. And it's, it's WWE going down. It's these other sports leagues, either, most, for the most part, let's say 15 of the the biggest sports leagues in the world, like the NFL, the NBA, uh, Indian, Indian Premier League, EPL, uh, NASCAR, UFC, It's most of them being stable, WWE being down from about 2016 onward. And now to the point where UFC has surpassed WWE in web search, we can debate what that means. So,
5: Mm -hmm. yeah, just another metric, but, but overall, just another metric to kind of show, to get back to kind of the original point that. WWE could probably be so much more profitable and relevant if they weren't in this. Let's burn out our core audience phase of the company over the last three or four years. Um, it was. Int- I think you made a good point about how like WrestleMania weekend and the Monday Ra- Raw after WrestleMania, maybe the reactions are different because the fans who would maybe go against WWE stopped coming. I think it's kind of relevant that like Roman Reigns stopped getting booed and started becoming like the darling favorite of all WWE fans. Um, kind of at the same time, like where all of the wrestling fans who maybe booed Roman Reigns stopped watching WWE, mm-hmm. and I think people use like, oh well, he was getting booed and now he's getting booed, but it's part of his character, and now he's really over and all these things, and he's fine, he's finally done it, and all that kind of thing, like that. To me, I look at that and I say like, well, I feel like all the fans that were really mad about the Roman Reigns push stopped watching like around year three or year four of it, and obviously AW coming along and providing an alternative to those fans also plays a factor but I think a lot of like what finally got Roman over was that all the people that didn't like them stopped watching, which I don't really consider that a success. Yeah.
4: Um, I mean, TV ratings have been doing well recently. Um, SmackDown is pretty, f- pretty flat. And in some comparisons, you look at total viewership. They're up a little bit. Uh, Raw did a good rating this past Monday. That's one week. Um, but r- ratings seem to be stabilizing somewhat. These numbers here, give me another reason to think that popularity generally is stabilizing for WWE, but it's not as if they haven't lost, they haven't seen negative differences in a a number of different areas, including this web search, including in some years where their loss of viewership year over year was worse than some comparisons of TV generally, Uh, ticket sales, merchandise sales, obviously COVID uh, complicates some of that, but um, just to head towards wrapping up. Um I uh I listened just maybe some final thoughts on on the Nick Khan interview or his media appearances his what he means to WB. Um I I listened to this interview uh on 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 the ride home from work the I think the day that it came out and uh I have I've found Nick Khan's you know media appearances to be pretty fascinating, even including this one. Um I, I felt that this was the interview that felt most like spin to me. Um I I, I will tell you that I've spoken to some people who you know, in, including uh people who invest in WE, who loved this interview, thought he came off brilliantly. Uh his answers were fantastic and smooth. Um, I was exasperated by this interview when I first heard it. And I I I DM'd you, Jesse, and uh you had you had to explain to me how how W really works and calm you down. Um <laughs> I, I I feel like obviously he's talented at his job. The skills that he has that made him, you know, apparently an excellent sports agent are apparent here, just in the way that he's speaking even to the interviewer, where he's like, "You're a Big Dodgers fan, right? Uh Lakers fan." Uh, the way that he's clearly somebody who makes an effort to to connect with people. Um, and to get to know them and develop these relationships that maybe end up being important in business relationships. Um, the the big story to me of pro wrestling, though, and the reason why I'm so into doing WrestleNomics and so into doing uh, analysis and writing about the wrestling business, partly is because that I feel that there's this tremendous conflict between the quality of the product and the business results of the product and it's the elephant in the room to me in, in, in interviews like this, the elephant in the room to me is the quality of the product. And I think I've called it like the last kayfabe, the last kayfabe, the last thing that must be protected and not acknowledged is that there, that the, that the product, uh, isn't good. And it's because of Vince McMahon. Uh, nobody can say that for obvious reasons. Uh, and I, that was more present than ever to me in this interview, I guess, uh, I think one of the things I said to you is I I still don't know who Nick Khan is like in the, in the privacy of his own mind. Does he, when he does, and he's clearly somebody who's more connected to, to the product. He's paying attention to the product more so than somebody like George Barrios seemed to, George Barrios didn't seem to be familiar with the names of some, some of the top talent at times. He's somebody who's, who's clearly more of a fan. Um, I just don't know. Like if we gave him truth serum, what does he really think of this product? Is, is he like, is he one of these people who, who just thinks it's awesome genuinely, or, or is he, he like, you know, this is, this is my job and uh, I'm just going to do a really great job at monetizing this further. And I know I can't really do anything to make Vince do something differently. So we're just going to, you know, accept this is the way it is and this is what I'm going to do.
5: When it comes to critical assessment of WWE's product, it can be a challenge for people like you and I, and probably most of the people listening to this podcast in that it's hard to get out of our bubble. It's hard to understand what a casual fan thinks about WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble or one of the shows that they might tune into. Um, I always, I never turned down an opportunity to talk to somebody who said, Oh, I bought this show for the, I bought a wrestling show for the first time in years. I want to know what they think about it because it's so hard to get that perspective. Um, So you and I can both say WWE product is terrible. It's insulting to the viewer, all of these things. I still don't know if people that casually watch the product think that. Um, we can look at business metrics and say they definitely run off fans, but it's hard for me to think like Nick Khan is sitting there the way that you and I are and be like, this is insulting. He might just laugh and just say, Oh man, this business is is crazy. Vince is a madman, but like, he doesn't really, he's not getting to a critical, re- a real critical thought about the product. Um, he, obviously, like you said, the elephant in the room is that the product is bad and, to so to Khan's point, you kind of said like, oh, he's more with the product than Barrios is, and that's 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 probably true. In general, Khan is just way more media friendly than the previous WWE presidents, and he's clearly so very, WWE- very
4: connected to sports media. That's been a yes. like
5: since day one. Yeah. And WWE is way more comfortable having him. You know, Vince is probably way more comfortable having him go out there and say the right things. As you said, when you talked to somebody in WWE, they were very they, oh, Nick did a great job in this interview. You know, he's he's so great. Um, Because he's so media friendly, and in a lot of ways, I think that warps people's perspective on who is actually running this company. And it's not Nick Khan; it's Vince McMahon. And so, in a lot of ways, Nick Khan has been credited to WWE's successes, and he's been credited to some failures that WWE has had in the the eyes of the fans. Right? Nick Khan cut all those talents. Nick Khan, you know, destroyed NXT. Nickon didn't do any of that. Vince did. Vince is in charge. Ultimately, he gets credit and blame. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, when people ask him these questions, like, and, and uh, you know, it, Matt uh, Bellany asks like some questions about the content, like, "Oh, how are you going to build new stars?" And Nick kind of prattles off about, you know, oh, we're, we, we you know now we're recruiting college football players as if that's a new concept as if roman reigns isn't a college former college football player or the rock or john cena or steve austin or like a million other people in pro wrestling um their answer would like, be like imagine if if the nil program was available to roman reigns or You're right and the nil program is a pr stunt like that that's one of the i've seen them get a lot of positive press about oh wwe's changing the game with the nil program like yeah
4: there, there are articles that- within the past few days about, uh, I don't know his name, but there was one one of their NIL recruits. And there was an article about that person and the program in ESPN this this past week.
5: Right. So, but that's what it is. Like, I mean, I don't even want to get into the NIL thing. There's those, uh, the Fresno State basketball playing. I forget, they're like the Cavender sisters or something like that. And these are people that are allegedly making millions of dollars off of their Instagram accounts. Those people ain't never taken a bump not in WWE where they, you cannot have any third-party revenue streams. So all those kind of things to me just come across as a marketing tool. And there is this kind of personification that they are we're revamping our developments. We're going to get, you go up to a college football player and you say, well, you're probably not going to make the NFL. Why not try WWE? Like as if that hasn't been a ploy to recruit wrestlers since Gus Sonnenberg was wrestling in Boston in the 1920s. Right. <laughs> um, and so like Nick responds like that and just, when people ask him questions about the quality of the product or creative aspects of the product, it's just a waste of time because that's not his department. That's Vince's job. And Nick's not going to say anything bad about Vince. So he's just going to kind of blandly say like, oh yeah, things are going great. You know, We're doing this and we're doing that. Um, but you're not going to get anything really out of it. And I think a lot of people struggle kind of with separating like what Nikon's role is in the company, which is to make deals with big corporate entities and to negotiate with Fox and to negotiate with NBCU and Peacock and advertisers and these kind of things. And he's not the person who's looking at the raw script and saying, this is crap. We got to change this. Mm-hmm. Um I guess what you're kind of alluding to, Brandon, is that potentially Nikon could be part of something that leads to a transition away from Vince McMahon's role as the head of creative in the company, perhaps before Vince McMahon like dies, which is what how most people assume Vince will stop being the creative head of WW's company. And that Nick is a savvy enough guy, and perhaps he's charming enough to convince whether it's Vince, whether it's Vince's immediate family, whether it's other stockholders or anything like that, that this thing could take off even more if we got maybe a little bit more appropriate creative control.
4: Because but that's a much if bigger. If I question. was if I was a W investor, which I'm not, and I have never been. <laughs> This company is not realizing it's full value. Yes, it's breaking financial records. Broke its financial records last year. Won't break its financial records again this year and probably the year after that. But this company is, is, is valued at, first of all, it's, it's valued at about 12 times it's forward-looking OIBDA, which is a lower multiple than other peer companies are. This is something I tweeted about a few days ago. Um, partly because of the Carney perception of pro wrestling, which I think Vince McMahon is largely responsible for. And largely responsible for to this day for upholding and and you know keeping that perception in the minds of the public. But also, as we said a number of times already in the last hour and a half, Vince Vince's Creative has, has turned off a significant portion of fans who would spend their, their money and would spend their time on WWE, but the product just isn't good. And I think the product just isn't good in a way that uh you know, if you if you changed it, you wouldn't turn off the fans that you currently have. I don't buy this idea that you just have. Yeah, there's just these these two groups of people you can't possibly sign simultaneously satisfy. I think the captive audience that they have now is less discerning than cat than the than the former captive audience that they've run off. But anyway, um, this company's not realizing its full value. Uh, the billion dollar deals that they make could be two billion dollar deals. You know, the two million viewers that they have it could be three million viewers. But they're putting on a product. That's for one person, not for their audience. They're putting on a product that's for their CEO, head of creative, the person who has uh, the, the controlling preferred class of shares uh, and he controls this company. And that's, you know, unless somebody does something, I don't know, it would be extremely difficult to do it, but maybe Nikon, as, as you're alluding to, Jesse, maybe Nikon is somebody who could, uh, in the interest of investors, in the interest of the company, uh, get somebody else into, into the head of creative Although there and are other, other alternatives like Bruce Pritchard that I don't think would do a significantly better job, <laughs> but but there's somebody maybe
5: maybe Paul Levack couldn't do worse. Correct, and that would be the question that I would ask if Vince were to be Vince were to drop dead or you would be ousted by from power or you would have some sort of accident that would prevent him from in the being in the current role he's in now. Mm-hmm. Who is the person that would step into that role, and would they do a good job? And the massive power vacuum that Vince would be leaving, the cult of personality of Vince, right. what would the? I think the. I think that like personally, I think the company would be incredibly chaotic post Vince. It would be like uh, a country where the dictator dies, <laughs> and now all of the people who were afraid. The only thing that was keeping the country kind of together was fear of the dictator. Yeah. And now that that's gone, all of the knives are going to be out and the Bruce Pritchard and Kevin Dunn and Paul Heyman and Paul Levesque and all of these people will be trying to convince themselves and try to, and try to get that kind of power within the company to become the new Vince. Yeah. And I don't know how much of an overarching philosophy Vince has over his booking in general. Um, I think it's been diminished over the years as he has gotten older. But I am really interested in knowing like, with the picture I think WWE is only going to get more chaotic, the booking gonna become more scattershot, the vision becoming less clear um, as Vince gets older. And then when Vince leaves, like someone's gonna come in and be able to figure out exactly what the company needs to do. I think I mean this is kind of I don't want to get too off topic because we're running kind of late anyway, but the I think there's a huge process of rebuilding the trust in f- fan bases that has been burned over the last few years. Yeah, I think that's going to take a lot of time to build up. I know as a fan that's been kind of turned off over the last several years. You know, I'm. It's going to take a long time for me to really trust that WWE is going to be booking an entertaining product, and they're going. It's worth my time to emotionally invest in any of their characters because yeah. it's not at the at, in this current state. And and, and, and just I think,
4: to, just to kind of level set because I can I can hear like a, a listener in my head. Saying this is never going to happen. Vince is never going to relinquish power, and I I agree. Uh, Vince's life is controlling this company and having a bunch of people around him, you know, aiding him. Um, his life is is running this company and being the head of creative and whatever it is that he does day to day. And I don't see him ever voluntarily relinquishing that. Um, to be clear, I I think you would agree to that, Jesse. Um, uh, so I think you know it's it's not that it's going to happen, but it's clearly something in the interest of, of shareholders that should happen, but any other thoughts?
5: Uh, No, the only thought I want to add, which I kind of already alluded to was when Nick was talking about like talent development in the revamp of NXT and kind of like how, because I think, you know, Bellamy asked a pretty good question, which was, you know, a lot of your key talent is getting older. How are you going to create new stars? And as much as I enjoyed watching Stone Cold Steve Austin have one more wrestling match and kind of be super over in this walk and brawl kind of match he had with Kevin Owens, yes. it was hard to watch it without also acknowledging that the reason that this match is happening is because WWE does not have the faith in its current roster to justif- to have anything that justifies the main event of at least two- one night of WrestleMania. Right. And so we need to bring Steve Austin out of retirement and we need to pay him probably a lot of money in what amounted to a thirty-minute commercial for his IPA beer. Yes, and uh, at, at age fifty-seven, at age yeah.
4: fifty-seven, somebody's probably not going to have many, if any, matches in the future for WWE.
5: Right. Um, and so it's hard to think like, okay, what? How are you going to create new stars? And WWE's track record is poor. The NXT track record is is poor. The Performance Center's track record is poor. And Nick does, you know, he talks about, oh, we're going to get all these good athletes to to come in to WWE and we're going to teach them to be stars. And he said something really interesting. And you mentioned that, like, he knows more about the product than Barrios, which is true. But he talks about how, you know, in in act, you know, our biggest personalities, Steve Austin, The Rock, John Cena, Roman Reigns, those are all just extensions of their real life. It's their real personality turned up to 11, you know, that line. And then he also says that kind of in the same breath as he talks about the new NXT. And it's like, well, the new NXT, everyone is based on some sort of stereotype character, often uh, in a lot of cases, an ethnic stereotype that are probably nothing like their real personalities. I do not believe Tony D'Angelo is a real mobster. Uh, I don't believe that, you know, Sarai is a schoolgirl. I don't believe that... um, tiffany stratton is like a like a preppy rich girl uh like that's obsessed with her daddy's girl like all of these wacky personalities that are apparently building the new generation of wrestlers are seem very distant from the uh the conversation about how we can't give these guys wacky characters because they got to be themselves and it seems like totally at a uh, um contradiction between the two ideas right
4: um we're well, going for we're we're pushing 2 hours here on on the live stream. So I think we'll uh we'll wrap it up. I do have one other slide just to note that Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor, the first show under Tony Khan, uh, according to WrestleTix, did do uh, just under 2000 according to WrestleTix. I believe Tony Khan has claimed 2000 or over 2000. 1978 is what WrestleTix has reported as its, as its final count. So that's all I have, as as by the way, this was Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor, was airing live at the same time that AW Rampage was airing in taped form on TNT, at the same time that the Hall of Fame was airing live on, on Peacock, at the same time that Impact's Multiverse of Matches was airing on Fight TV. So... For for the for the four major promotions, I would say the top four major promotions in the United States all streaming, airing something live at 10 p.m. Eastern this Friday night. Um, but that's all I have really. Uh, you want know, to plug anything, Jesse?
5: I just tell people to follow my Twitter account because that's what they'll find out what I've been up to. Um, right write for wrestlingink.com, right for uh Co-host of the Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast with uh, Jason Unpresser. who yes. Who does stuff for us also, here for,
4: for Russellomics.
5: Yes. Russellomics. Shout out to Jason. He just got a yes. pretty cool new job. So really. Um that comes out bi-weekly. It's right on YouTube. Um kind of just take one topic and talk about something for, for for two hours or so. Um, but that's yeah, no, I just tell my Twitter handle is right below my name. I just tell people to follow at Jesse Collins. Um to just that's how you'll find my work. But I uh, appreciate being asked, filling in for for Chris uh, as he is he's making it big at WrestleMania weekend. So, uh. yes, Cr-
4: Chris Gullo was sent with my my handheld recorder. He may or may not be uh, getting interviews right now. Maybe. I don't know. Um, we'll see. We'll see what he comes home with. Uh, but he's, he's down there doing a number of shows this weekend. But I, like I said earlier, I think he is attending WrestleMania um, for WrestleMania, You can hit the thumbs up share, subscribe on the YouTube channel if you're watching on YouTube right now. Uh, we have a Patreon, of course. You can get my TV ratings reports that come out nearly every day. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You also get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet with all the TV ratings. Uh, I've also been reporting quarter hours lately for WNAEW. It's the only place that's uh, originally reporting the W quarter hours at this point. Um, at Patreon.com slash I think that's it. Thanks to you, Post Wrestling, for being our media distribution partner. God, we love our partners. I, I did notice that somebody did ask in the chat um, about the W Business Partner Summit, the real WrestleMania main event to me. Uh, I heard it was a shorter uh, event this year. I don't know if video will be appearing on the corporate website, but I will be checking. Um, we, but we may never actually see video from it, unfortunately. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, thanks, to everybody, for listening and tuning in, watching on YouTube, listening in your po- podcast app. Uh, I will be back on Thursday with Live TV Ratings Talk. So thanks, thanks to Jesse for joining us. Talk to you next time. Bye.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward.